And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, 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 the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now uh, what we want to do is build back better together. The reputation of the Scottish government tainted. The standing of this parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name is Conor Matchett. I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper. With us this week is Hannah Brown, a political correspondent, and Alistair Grant, our political editor. And we were talking about this just before we, we started recording, but it feels like there's only really one Scottish political story in town this week, and that is the ongoing fiasco, the ferries fiasco, as I believe it's been dubbed, about the the two the two holes that were due to be built by Ferguson Marine and awarded, which had the contracts awarded years ago. Alistair, take us through the background. Yeah, so I've I've, I've <laughs> so a rough timeline before I came on here just to spark my memory a bit because it's such a convoluted story and it's been going on for so long and I think you kind of have to bear in mind where it all began. So in, in 2014, Ferguson's, which is obviously the last commercial shipyard on the Clyde, went into administration and Alex Salmond then intervened and was involved in Jim McCall, who was then on his Council of Economic Advisors, taking over the shipyard a week before the independence referendum. So fast forward a year or roughly a year to 2015, the shipyard was announced as the preferred bidder, bidder for two CalMac ferries. It was the most expensive bid, but it won out on quality, apparently. So it was a £97 million contract. And it was then announced at the SNP's conference in October 2015. And since then, it's been beset by problems. We've had delays. It's massively over budget. Uh, Ferguson's went into administration in 2019. Um, and it was then nationalised by the Scottish government in a bid to save, what the Scottish government would say, in a bid to save the 300 jobs at the yard and to keep the shipyard open. Um, and then in the last week, we had this Audit Scotland report which I think the kind of crucial finding in it was essentially that there were an adequate, inadequate safeguards in place to protect public money. So Ferguson's had warned at the time it was getting the contract that it could not provide the full builder's refund guarantee, uh, which was part of the contract. So this is basically, you know, providing repayment guarantees if the ships are late, if the shipyard goes bust, if anything happens essentially. Uh, and government agency CMAL, which I believe owns the kind of ships, owns the kind of infrastructure of the ferries, and kind of raised concerns that the contract shouldn't be awarded to Ferguson's for this reason. But Transport Scotland, the government agency, essentially said it was aware of the risks, but it was kind of happy to proceed anyway. And Audit Scotland, crucially, in the report, says there's no documented evidence to confirm why Scottish ministers were willing to accept the risks of awarding the contract to Ferguson's, despite this being the case. There's no paper trail at all. There's nothing in paper as to why they made this decision, apparently. Uh, and now Jim McCall, who you'll remember owned the yard, which won the contract, 
has said he thinks the SNP essentially rushed it without safeguards because they wanted good publicity at their 2015 party conference. They wanted to be able to announce it on stage and for it to be this good moment for them. So essentially they did it for political reasons. Now this is obviously denied by the Scottish government. It was denied by Hamza Yusuf yesterday, I think again by Finance Secretary Kate Forbes this morning on the radio. And there's been calls for Nicola Sturgeon to kind of come before Holyrood and answer more questions on this. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and last week I thought it was interesting, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, when she was asked about this at First Minister's Questions, I believe, had made the point that the Scottish government operates on the principle of collective responsibility. So whenever they make decisions, all the ministers are responsible for it. But notably, she said that the transport minister at the time was Derek Mackay. She made a point of saying that. And Derek Mackay obviously resigned in uh, February 2020 for messages he'd sent to a teenage boy. So he's not on the scene anymore. So it seemed quite, you know, from an opposition's point of view, it seemed quite convenient that they were blaming someone who can't really answer for himself anymore, can't really answer for himself in the same way the Scottish government would. But the crucial thing to remember in all of this, it's so complicated, complicated and convoluted, the crucial thing to remember is that these ferries, these two ferries that are destined for island routes, they're, they're much needed uh, ferries, are now five years late, could cost more than £250 million. Remember that contract was initially £97 million and the additional costs are picked up by the taxpayer. They're picked up by, by us essentially. So it's a massive scandal. Yeah. And it's there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of things that don't quite make sense yet. And so I think it'll probably dominate Hollywood quite a lot in the coming week. I mean, the, the, the Audit Scotland report last week, I remember looking at it and as you do kind of having a brief scan. I mean, the, I, I think I've said on this podcast before that there's the Audit Scotland seem to be the busiest people in Scotland at the minute when it comes to looking at uh, government agencies and their failings, um, considering it, it it's looked at, I think, I, it feels like there's a report every week. There was one on the NHS a few weeks ago that was damning. There was one on uh, SEPA, uh, the Environment Agency, that was absolutely damning. Uh, and now, obviously, this this ferries deal. You picked it out there, Alistair, about the, the lack of documentary evidence around why the risks associated with the contract were deemed acceptable. That seems like the most critical thing. There's a lot of talk at the minute about, you know, who the individual minister was. Keith Brown was brought into it um, over the weekend due to the fact that there's a briefing paper sent to him seeking his approval because Derek Mackay was on holiday at the time in August 2015. But seeming to ask which individual minister signed this seems to miss the point that, you know, the entire government and presumably the First Minister, viewed this contract as acceptable. And we can't, as journalists, as the public, we can't hold them account to that because we don't know their reasoning. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I actually, yeah, I think it's really true that we're getting bogged down on, you know, who the individual minister was, exactly when, you know, who was on the paper when the contract went through. But I think you're right. You know, it's the crucial question is why they did it, why the Scottish government thought that this was, you know, the appropriate course of action to take at the time, despite the warnings from their own government agency, CMAL. And like you say, there's just no paper trail there. There's no, yeah, it's so hard to hold people to account when there's no kind of evidence there. And I think if Audit Scotland can't find that evidence, then it's unlikely, well, it seems on the face of it unlikely that, it'll, that it will be found. So it's a problem of accountability. It's, it's a real issue. Do we think that obviously this would be fruitful for the opposition? And the question is, whether or not this is a one-off error 
uh, it's a very expensive one-off error. You know, is this a one-off error? Is it something that someone should be resigning for? It's a difficult question. I mean, I think fundamentally, you you first of all need to get to the bottom of what actually happened and why. Uh, and I think that those opposition calls for a public inquiry, I mean, obviously the opposition is, is making hay of a political scandal. But I think there is a lot to be said for just having something that gets to the bottom of this that people have to come before and have to answer questions on. I mean, there's obviously in this Audit Scotland report, there was a, a committee, a Holyrood committee inquiry into similar issues before into the, the ferries. But public inquiries just have more power. You know, they can do things that other inquiries can't. So I think there is merit in that as an idea. And I think it's probably best to absolutely get to the bottom of things before you start going down the route of, you know, whether or not someone should resign. Just just from the point of view of knowing exactly who is to blame. I mean, it's very easy for opposition parties to call for someone's head, although unusual actually sometimes in politics. But yeah, I think from the public's point of view, from the taxpayer's point of view, it's much more important to find out what actually happened uh, in the sense of trying to avoid this happening again and understanding it properly. Kate Forbes, was, as you said, Alistair, was on the radio this morning. She's uh, as close as we get really to a minister with who who would be considered in charge of this this contract at the minute due to the fact that it's overrun. It, it might well be a transport issue, but it's fundamentally a finance problem as well, given the scale of the of the contract. I think there was someone, I think Jim McCall as well, suggested that the ferries could end up t- costing you know closer to 400 million pounds potentially over close to half a billion pounds which is you know five times as much as they were initially meant to go off hannah what was kate kate forbes saying this morning on on the bbc yeah so she was talking on radio scotland on monday which is when we're recording she was saying that she kind of fundamentally disagreed with the assertion that the announcement of two botch ferries was rushed and it was kind of made ahead of this SNP conference. Uh, another thing that she was, it was quite interesting to see her come out with was almost a, a wee stab at uh, Jim McCall, who we've mentioned. Uh, she said that, you know, we shouldn't be listening to the opinion of someone who has a vested interest in a Sunday newspaper, is what she said uh, after, you know, Mr McCall kind of wrote into the, I think it was the Sunday Times, am I correct in saying? Yeah, that's um, right, yeah. So, yeah, it was quite interesting to see her kind of look into that now when she was asked to clarify what that vested interest is. She didn't say further, uh, but she, yeah, she just went on to say that basically the, the time scale and the timetable doesn't stack up for the Ferguson announcement. I think she said the conference, uh, the SNP conference was happening sometime in October that year uh, and the election wasn't until the following May. And she said this whole process was months, if not years, in the making. Uh, Forbes also addressed the former Ferguson marine owner's assertion that the cost of the two ferries could top £400 I think, um, She's and yet again she went. Jim McCall may say a lot of things, uh, but she said she prefers to base her analysis and forecasts on the facts. And she said the latest updated cost forecast is up to two hundred six million, uh, which takes into account a number of things, uh, including new warranties. I think she mentioned, um, and takes into account the cabling issues that she's kind of talked about before. She basically said, "I, I have no idea where he's getting that four hundred million." number from but the interesting thing and I think this was highlighted by the Scottish Conservative Transport spokesperson Graham Simpson basically what Alistair was saying at the end of this you know at the end of the day this is about islanders who are missing out on a 
proper proper ferry transport system you know it's so easy to get caught up in these kind of internal fights um and you know looking for someone's head as we're as we're talking about that the opposition is doing but really it's it is at the end of the day how this affects people that's what this should be about and it's yeah i i think it's important that we don't lose sight of that in these scandals that's a really good point i mean it's it's been a as long as I've been covering Scottish politics, the ferries and the the issue of the ferries in and the quality of the service and the consistent breakdowns and you know the 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 fact they can't or struggle sometimes to operate in what might most a lot of Scots might consider relatively mild Scottish winters and you know all of, all, all of that sort of stuff that's been a, a recurring issue um, and a lot of islanders you speak to um, who might no longer live over there would say you know if we moved Holyrood to you know uh Harris for, for a week uh, or for for a year the problems would be solved you know very very quickly okay. because the, these are lifeline services these are the sorts of things that people rely on day to day do you think this is a blind spot for the the SNP in particular given their strength of support just in general across the central belt their their focus on Glasgow and Edinburgh and you know places places like that which you know all three of us on this call don't have to rely on a ferry uh, to get to work or to you know to ship our food over do you think this is a blind spot Alistair for the SNP in general that they don't take these issues seriously enough uh, in the same way they might you know the QEUH problems or 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 other other issues in the central belt I think it's probably a a problem with politics in general that it becomes quite centralized and in Scotland, that takes the form of a, a huge concentration on the central belt. Uh, obviously, Holyrood is in Edinburgh. Glasgow is the biggest city. You know, you've got the other cities like Dundee, Aberdeen. There's it's kind of there's just a focus on these centres of population. And I think, yeah, it is a blind spot in the in the sense that you know these they've got ferries operating these routes that are really old. You know, it's, it's time they got replaced. These these two new Calmac ferries are, are much needed. And it's just ridiculous that we've had this kind of convoluted situation with them. But at the same time, there's also, you know, really senior SP figures that um, represent areas that are associated with this. I mean, Kate Forbes is, you know, based on Sky. You've got Ian Blackford. I know Sky isn't, you know, it's connected to mainland via bridge, but they're not they're not detached from these issues. They do know about the issues affecting rural areas and and islands. And you've got SP politicians representing the Western Isles. So it's it's something that they you know, they should be aware of, and I think they are aware of, but it's just this long-running problem in Scottish politics, essentially, that it's it's so focused in the central belt. And it is, yeah, tra- transport issues in the Highlands and Islands are a real issue. And yeah, the ferries are much needed. Let's talk about, I mean, this weekend, it was the Alba Party Conference. Jim McCall had a helping hand from Alex Salmond in 2014. When it, uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, David Clegg, uh, you know, uh, alleged on Twitter that Alex Salmond rushed through the support for the deal for Jim McCall to take over Fergus Marine in order to get a front page when he was guest editing the Daily Record uh, in the weeks ahead of the second independence referendum. Jim McCall obviously couldn't make Ferguson Marine work. I mean, we, we have to sometimes look and examine the motives of the people that, that are making these criticisms. Uh, Hannah, you mentioned Kate Forbes talked about vested interests you know is this coming from a position of you know slightly miffed former old in quotation mark snp figures and business figures connected to them 
I feel like there's also like a big thing where there's a lot of kind of younger people who are looking in at these issues and just feel a wee bit kind of totally not connected to them because of these kind of egos and power heads that they aren't used to when when well when I'm when I'm seeing this uh, when you look at a young lecturer and you look at like people who are coming into this and seeing this it's so like like we kind of talked about it's so easy to get wash with all this scandal and just see it as like something that isn't really that important to people now that is totally not to take away from the fact that these island communities have been affected by this and impacted by this but looking at a young voter who is seeing this it does yeah like you're saying Connor look as if it's a bit of a almost like power play and ego things that have have, have been kind of cemented in this with the whole Salmond and um, McCall debacle with it. it it's so easy to just go oh that's just boys and their toys and that's a kind of game that I'm not interested in and you lose sight of like why it is actually important and why this just shouldn't be happening and yeah just to come back to your kind of question of yeah if this I think you're kind of really touching on you know if, if these guys uh, <laughs> Was it more so like because they are kind of seeing this as a power play? I think in politics in general, you have to examine the the interests of the people that are that are talking to you or the, the the links that they may have. And I think as much as Kate Forbes has a relationship with the government that requires her to, to defend it to the tooth, regardless of you know the scandal that's ongoing and the failures and the and and the arguable demonstrable incompetence, she's still going to come out and you have to look at her comments with that in mind you know she she talks about you know the idea that this is the timetable doesn't stack up that doesn't necessarily deny for example that they did it for political gains it doesn't necessarily deny that they didn't rush it through it just denies that the timetable presented might not tell the full story and i think the argument would be from the smp side certainly so parts of the smp side would be well is this a shock that someone with links to old SNP, again, in in quotation marks, you know, the years of Alex Salmond. Alistair, you mentioned Jim McCall was on that national advisory board for, for economics. And, you know, that that's that those links matter over time. There's a lot of criticism to the current SNP administration that when they are in trouble, they get the old talking heads out who are sitting on these advisory boards and, you know, jobs for mates and all, all of this sort of thing. These are common criticisms by opposition about about public life in Scotland and I do wonder I don't know maybe I'm being unfair Alistair but I do wonder if you have to look at how Jim McCall and you know certainly Alex Salmond had an intervention over the weekend as well over this when when he said that he knew that Derek Mackay you know was on uh, on holiday and didn't provide any evidence for it at the time and then obviously these memos to to Keith Brown came out you know it, it, it feels the Audit Scotland report in and of itself, is damning. It's a damning indictment of incompetence. These comments on Sunday from Jim McCall, I think you have to take with a hefty Alba-scented pinch of salt. Yeah, well, I'm not sure the degree to which it's Alba-scented, but I think he definitely has, Jim McCall has beef with the Scottish government. There is no doubt about it. time, yeah. Uh, I mean, that just stems from the the arguments around after the Yard was nationalised by the Scottish government. There's a lot of criticism of its former leadership and the the kind of state, well, quote-unquote state they'd got the Yard into, and just yeah, there was a lot of criticism around at the time. So when he's when he's making these comments, you do have to bear that in mind that he does have beef with the Scottish government. Um, but that doesn't mean obviously that what he's saying isn't worth listening to or 
taking into account, I mean, he obviously has to some degree an insider's look at what happened. Um, he has that kind of expertise about what was going on in the yard before. I think one of the interesting things he said, actually, that I'm not sure that we've touched on yet, I think I'm right in saying in the Sunday Times piece, he said something like it would be cheaper to to basically stop work on the second ferry, the one that's not named yet, and start again, essentially, and to basically make that ferry watertight and then sell it off. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just such a drastic situation where you're getting to the point where it's just cheaper to quit while you're ahead and just to start all over again. I mean, that's just such a sorry state to be in you know, X number of years down the line. So I think Jim McCall is worth listening to. It's worth taking into account what he's saying, but you're absolutely right. You have to bear in mind that he's coming at it from a particular angle. He's coming at it from the point of view of someone who was seen as, like he was always held up as, you know, he was a pro-yes businessman back at the time of the first, well, the only independence referendum so far. And now he just seems to be a bit of a thorn in the side of the Scottish government. It's just, yeah, it's funny how these things go. Do, do do you think? Um, I mean, we, let's let's talk briefly about. I think it's worth touching on the SNP's record in general with big infrastructure projects and whether or not there's there's a again. This might be a, a this this is it's 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 incredibly difficult for the SNP to put this on anyone else other than themselves, given the fact that they've been in power since two thousand seven. But the Queen's Free Crossings had its issues. It can't you know it struggles. Still got the ice. Ice uh, shearing issues. The ferries are a disaster. I, I mean, I, I don't think you can political politico your way away from from that audit Scotland report. Um, the takeover of the the Lacaba smelter and the and the, and the deal there with GFG has been a uh, arguably been a disaster or a disaster in the making. If GFG go bust, uh, the Dial Steelworks deal broke state aid rules. I mean. We've not even talked about Bifab uh, there yet. I mean, th- this is this this indicates a failure to understand when to nationalise, when to help business, and also a failure of how to do it and the the due diligence and and, and the work that should be going on to protect public public money. Yeah, I mean, it's when you when you list all the various calamities we've had over the years, <laughs> it does sound pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's there, there. There is obviously a problem going on in the way that we we deal with these things. It's something that has to be looked at, and the S and P has to be able to account for. I mean, I would say, and it's not really to defend them at all, but I think there are there are there are problems elsewhere in the UK as well when it comes to these massive infrastructure problems, just running over budget, you know, becoming embroiled in various delays and just not going to plan at all. There's, I think there's obviously some kind of problem with the way that we contract these things and and go about doing them and it just never seems to never seems to go to the plan that was initially set out um, and I mean a, a classic example that I'm not sure if you listed there Edinburgh trams you know something that's been going on and on for years and you know we still have I mean I, I live in Leaf we're supposedly getting this tram line opening up early next year but it's something that's just been going on for so many years now and it's it's just incredible how mired these things get in in, uh, in delays and, and, and cost overruns. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, I, I'm not sure how you, how you kind of pinpoint exactly where the blame lies. And the Edinburgh tram exam, example is a good one, I think, because we've obviously got the tram inquiry that was meant to get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff. And it itself has become massively delayed or, you know, it's still ongoing. We've got no idea when it's going to report back. It's spending millions of pounds. 
Um, so these things are just incredibly complicated. And I think one of the one of the problems with them that we're seeing in Ferguson Marine at the moment is that it's very hard to pinpoint exactly who is accountable for what and exactly where the problem started and, and why they happened. And I think going back to the Audit Scotland report, that is a crucial issue in it, that there actually isn't this documented evidence. And when that doesn't exist, it becomes impossible to actually learn lessons from it and to discover you know, why these things happened and why they, why they won't happen again. So yeah, it's, it's a problem. I don't think it's Scotland specific, but it's a massive problem. I mean, you only have to look, you don't have to look very far, I should say, in England to see massive infrastructure pro- projects that have gone massively over budget and over, over, over delayed. I mean, Crossrail is a brilliant example, which is several years late. HS2 is doubled or tripled in budget and has been massively downscaled. I mean, I'm from York. The line between York and Manchester is still not fully electrified in 2022, for God's sake. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, it, it, as you say, it feels like there is a there's either a civil service blind spot, a politician blind spot, a procurement blind spot, and, you know, a failure of to, governance to, you know, look at how these things work and build in these almost guaranteed delays. I mean, I'm going to use probably what is a bad analogy, but I mean, I watch Grand Designs. I love Grand Designs. <laughs> it follows a formula though, right? Doesn't it? You get in there, they've got a budget, they've got a timeline, they always overspend and it's always late. Now, I don't understand as a layperson how our politicians don't work on that basis. I mean, all of these projects seem to seem to be delayed late you know, and, and over budget. Um, you touched on the, the tram inquiry. Do we think that Ferguson Marine deserves a public inquiry? Do we think that they'll get the answers that that audit was caught and report couldn't find? I think, I think it probably deserves a public inquiry, yeah. I think it's one of the best ways to get answers. I mean, the problem with that, to go back to tram inquiry, is that they tend to go on forever and they can just drag on and it just becomes a whole other issue that we then have to deal with. But I think at the moment it seems like an argument that has merit. And just to go back to what you're saying, I think one of the problems of these things is that it's often, you know, we have a political culture where if things go wrong, you call for someone's head. You know, we start looking around, who, who's the person that can resign over this? And I think sometimes that has merit and that's that's a good way to go down because sometimes people are, are actually to blame and they've made a mistake and they need to be held accountable for it. And we need fresh faces to come in and then think about the best way forward and to, you know, inject some new ideas into it. But the flip side of that is I think it can sometimes be a problem because, Sometimes I don't think it's clear if that's actually going to help. And you have such a huge level of turnover sometimes in politics. You get people in departments that, you know, for example, housing, I think, in the UK level has been quite beset by this. You know, there's various ministers come in and they, they take charge of that portfolio and then they move on very fast. And you get someone else coming in who then has to learn it all again. And I just don't think that itself is often great when it comes to keeping charge of public money and making sure you're making the best decisions. So I think you've got to be careful and you've got to, you know, you've got to have accountability, but you've also got to understand exactly why you're calling for something. And that's maybe not so much a point about Ferguson, it's just a general point. But yeah, I think, I think a public inquiry seems, it seems like a good way to get answers. You know, again, the problem with it is we could, we could then be mired in that for years. What do you think, Hannah? Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. A public inquiry, because there's a lot, there was a lot of things that weren't, that were left unanswered for a lot of people. Um, and there was there's a lot of things that, you know, we thought maybe Audit Scotland would 
give and would allow people to like have a fuller understanding like ask really who or get answers to really who was involved and what happened these are still questions that are still huge and still in people's minds and now we're kind of left this this squabbling <laughs> which from like different like one and two one and two it's, it's it's all going back and forth from different parties and it feels like everyone's got this bias so it's really important to have a public inquiry to kind of break through that bias and to break through that kind of almost like opposition uh, governmental squabbling that is just getting in the way of like real questions that need to be answered around it and also something that you know all these delays and pushbacks to like transport just in general it's a huge environmental issue as well isn't it because you know ships need to be built what is it I can't I'm, I'm not a ship expert I know this might surprise you guys but it's something like ships need to be built. They can't be too old and they need to be built something like 25, 30 years. They've got some a, a life. And if we are to break, I think it's that net zero by 2040, 2050, there's a, there's a certain timescale. We will not get to that if we continually face delays. I mean, I was talking to a shipbuilder oh, about three or four months ago and he was based in Orkney and he was just saying like, listen, that's that net zero goal absolute rubbish we'll never get to it and this it's like delays like this and delays to transport and like all this internal squabbling that halts back these things and you know we see the government with a you know coalition with the greens this should be at the forefront of their minds and this should be so yeah sorry i've completely gone off tangent but i do agree with a public inquiry (laughs) but i also think there are environmental issues that need to be discussed as well within that there's pressure on uh, nicola sturgeon to come to Holyrood and answer questions. I think, I think there's pressure for her specifically to, to uh, give a statement to, to Parliament uh, today as, as you listening to the podcast. Um, we've not heard anything about that so far uh, as we record this on Monday morning. She's also been called to appear in front of the Public Audit Committee, which is chaired by Richard Leonard, the former Labour leader. And that's, um, you know, along with Derek Mackay. Um, and there's a lot of calls for answers have we been impressed do we think that the answers provided by sturgeon at the back end of last week are going to oh they're obviously not going to satisfy the opposition or the public but do you think they're going to be that do you think they were acceptable enough to the general snp population and voters to to kind of you know, put this away as a vague political irritant rather than something that could hurt her in the long run? I don't think they're acceptable in the sense that there are still so many questions. And I Mm -hmm. think she did that classic thing where, yeah, she said that there is collective responsibility in the government, but then she did really clearly shift, you know, when you were listening to it, it seemed like she was shifting the blame then onto Derek Mackay while also saying, oh, by the way, we do take collective responsibility over this, but making very clear that he was transport minister at the time exceptionally um, convenient isn't it to have someone who left government under a, you know the classic cloud of disgrace um to blame for such a monumental you know error it's convenient i mean he, he was transport minister that's just a fact but he was also a junior minister and there would have been other people involved in that decision and i think when you look at the paperwork that's been published by the scottish government you can see how many people were, were involved in this decision and it's something that you know people across government were aware of and involved in I think in terms of, I think that one of the interesting things about this is I'm I'm really not sure the degree to which any of this has cut through 
for voters in the sense, you know, whether it would influence at all what they think about the Scottish government or how, how they would vote. I'm just not sure at all. I mean, it is a, it's a massive scandal in that sense, but it's also extremely convoluted and complicated and, you know, it sounds like a brutal thing to say, but as a percentage of the population, there's maybe not that many people that rely on ferries, uh, even though we're all interested in them. We, we all are interested in the islands, but I think as a percentage of the population, maybe not so many people rely on them as a lifeline service. So I'm just, I'm just not, yeah, I really, I think it's an open question as to, as to how much that's actually going to damage the SNP in that sense. But yeah, I think there are more answers are needed. And I think, yeah, I, I would expect, as I said earlier, this week in Hollywood to be, to be fairly dominated by, by the search for them. They also, as like <clears throat> a general rule of thumb, everyone always gets like tired of a, of a argument that, you know, wanes a wee bit and, and is caught, like, has been going on for so long, you know, like to have that much, you know, interest with it after such a long period of time, you know, uh, to, to go back to that, I know Alistair was saying it sounds brutal with the, the lack of interest and people not using the ferries. There's that as well, but there's also like people just get tired of hearing the same arguments back and forth all the time and as a result of this squabbling there's like it's almost gets clouded and the cla- like the actual reason the input as to why we are interested in this goes and so does public interest and yeah it does it you do wonder if voters will will be interested in this um given yeah who is impacted by fairies and yeah, no one likes an argument for too long, do they? I think that's a really good point because I think uh, particularly ferries is is used repeatedly by the Scottish Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats as well tend to do it as a you know regularly highlighted example of failings within government around public money and also around you know uh, competence in in, in government. And it's absolutely well within their right to do so. But there's an argument that, you know, we've heard these complaints about the delays to the ferries for three, four years now since they since they were, you know, finally confirmed to be late. We've heard the issues around, you know, the focus of marine nationalisation and the loans that were that were pinged that way. We've heard over and over again the concerns about the turnaround directors and their, you know, thousand pounds an hour, you know, fees. And yet when the serious scandal you know not saying that those things don't matter and they're not important and they don't deserve scrutiny but when the serious scandal lands on the desk i think you're right hannah i think a lot of voters have already switched their brains off and have gone this is too complicated or do you know what i've heard it all before when in reality there's a serious question of accountability which you know i think we've all highlighted on which is we do not know why the government and there is no evidence to tell us why the government accepted the risk of no a guarantee, refund guarantee on that contract with Ferguson Marine, which has cost the public purse upwards of £250 million and could be almost double that. And that, to me, is 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 what's being missed in this debate, is that that is the critical point here. This is, this is incompetent government governance. It's incompetent record holding. And it's a failure of democratic accountability at the end of the day. And it's such a worrying situation when you're thinking, you know, we're we're forced to, as we're doing on this podcast, to think about, oh, well, maybe people aren't as interested in it because there's a lesser number. But I think we've seen that, you know, a lesser number of people affected by if these ferries 
Arteville and, and, you know, that kind of transport link for people. We are forced to think that because we're thinking that's how the government must be thinking about this. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like just because there are a small number of people who are relying on these services and more regional, maybe that's the case why, you know, this could be shrugged off. But that just shouldn't be the way in which our governance should work, right? We should be caring for everyone and we should be making sure that, you know, I saw that with a lot of stuff that we see that the Clyde fishermen with the with the ban being introduced, you know, I, I, I love this story and I'm being called fish girl. Fish girl returns. <laughs> but it's such a big issue because it's these small, more kind of independent crew fishermen who are working class men who are being impacted by this. And if you read the papers and if you read why they are being affected by this ban, it's because it has short-term costs. That's what it's accounted as, i.e. there's not enough people for it to be a bigger problem, you know, and that's just such a depressing reality. So I really do feel for these people who are being impacted by this and we're getting, you know, when the media and the government is getting so obsessed with these internal squabblings that it just infuriates me in that way, you know? Anyway, I'll stop talking about fish. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts, Alistair? I would, yeah, I would, yeah. I would just repeat a lot of what I said, to be honest. I mean, I think it's, it is a huge scandal. I'm not sure the cut through it has. It should have cut through, but it's good that it's getting the level of coverage it is now. I mean, hopefully that will go some way to getting some answers on this. I mean, like you say, I mean, fundamentally it's an accountability issue. That is what it is at the end of the day. It's public money that has effectively gone down the drain. It's vital services that are not being delivered and it's a lack of accountability. So those, those are the three main factors and they're all quite serious. And it's something that, yeah, the SNP really has to answer for. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for, for joining us. And we, we wish Alex Brown well, uh, as his head hopefully hasn't exploded in the interim period since we last saw him. Thank you very much at home as well for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman.